Welcome back to TanakhCast. This is episode 121. We'll begin with a brief summary of Ezekiel chapters 4 through 7 and follow with some thoughts about the nature and artistry of endurance art. From time to time, prophets are asked to deliver some unpalatable messages to the people, to the king, which oftentimes gets them into serious trouble. And sometimes they're asked to do some odd things. If you recall, God tells Yeshayahu in chapter 20 of his eponymous book to strip off all of his clothes and wander around naked. God commands Yermiyahu to hide his underwear under a rock. Then in another instance, he tells the prophet to fasten a cattle yoke to his shoulders until another prophet breaks it off. In an upcoming episode, God will command Hoshea to marry a sex worker, impregnate her, and name their new baby Lo Ruchama, which means unloved. But what Yechezkel is commanded to do in this episode, as they say, puts them all in his back pocket. And mind you, all of what God commands Yechezkel to do is silent performance art. There's no thunderous rebuke or gentle wheedling. It's all performative, which I guess is an improvement over the previous episode where, if you recall, Yechezkel was rendered mute, tied up, and left in a room until God said the safe word. But then again, what Yechezkel does here is pretty out there. Chapter 4, quote, O mortal, take a brick and put it in front of you, and incise on it a city, Jerusalem. And once Yechezkel etches an image of Jerusalem, he is supposed to reenact the siege in miniature, with the siege towers and the mounds and all of it. And then, after setting an iron pan between himself and his detailed reconstruction, he's to lay on his left side for 390 days. And after a whole year passes, which that's pretty much 390 days, he's to roll over and repeat for 40 days. Apparently, the first round symbolizes the trials and travails of the kingdom of Israel, and the second, the tribulations of Judah, where each day represents a year. But the arts and crafts continue. Now we move into the kitchen. Yechezkel is to bake barley cakes over cow manure instead of human poop, which God originally wanted him to use, because Yechezkel pleaded with God that, as a priest, he never ate anything defiling. The fun continues in chapter 5. Now we're into personal grooming. God tells Yechezkel, quote, O mortal, take a sharp knife, use it as a barber's razor, and pass it over your head and beard. Then take scales and divide the hair. Yes, that's right. He's supposed to shave his head and his beard with a knife. I guess since God didn't say otherwise, he can use some cream or something to prevent razor burn. <coughs> But then he's to collect all the hair and after weighing it, divide it into three equal piles. One pile is to be burned, one is to be hit with a sword, and the third scattered to the wind. Of course, every symbolic act represents something every mashal has a nimshal, but still, this is some weird-ass stuff, man. Chapter 5 concludes with something a bit more familiar, God's threats and imprecations. Parents eating their kids, kids eating their parents... Pestilence, famine, murder, exile, all that Michael Bay disaster porn stuff we've come to expect from a prophet. Chapter 6 is also more familiar ground, a prophecy from the prophet, but this time even though the target is nature, or more specifically the mountains of Israel, the message is clear. Those who continue to host the Bamot, or high places where folks near offer to foreign gods, will be brought low. The worshippers of idols will be smacked down. You have been warned. Chapter 7 continues in a similar vein, quote, Doom is coming. 
The hour of doom is coming. It stirs against you. There it comes. Yechezkel uses that word kitz, doom, a lot in this chapter for a singular purpose, to stress the inevitability of all the bad things that he is describing. Quote, here is the day. See, the cycle has come around. It has appeared. The rod has blossomed. Arrogance has budded. Lawlessness has grown into a rod of wickedness. Nothing comes of them, nor of their abundance, nor of their wealth, nor is their preeminence among them. Or here's another choice image, quote, calamity shall follow calamity and rumor shall follow rumor. When they shall seek vision from the prophet in vain, instruction shall perish from the priest and counsel from the elders. That sounds a lot like high school, don't you think? And so on yet another cheery note, here endeth the lesson. Between May 14th and May 31st, 2010, the avant-garde Serbian artist Marina Abramovic performed a 736-hour and 30-minute static, silent piece in which she sat immobile in the museum's atrium at the Museum of Modern Art. The piece was called The Artist is Present. The instruction to spectators was simple. Quote, sit silently with the artist for a duration of your choosing. By the time the 736-hour and 30-minute performance ended, Abramovich sat across from 1,545 sitters, including James Franco, Lou Reed, and even Bjork. The exhibit was a sensation. As the exhibit entered its final days, hundreds of visitors were lining up outside the museum overnight to secure a spot in line for the next morning. A support group for the sitters sitting with Marina was established on Facebook, as was a well-trafficked blog entitled Marina Abramovich Made Me Cry. The Italian photographer Marco Anelli took portraits of every person who sat opposite Abramovich and published them on Flickr. Later, he compiled them into a book and featured it in its own exhibition at the Danziger Gallery in New York. And I wonder if someone took pictures at Anelli's show and put them in a book and then got a show out of that too. Because if they didn't, they really missed a terrific artistic opportunity. I think you can tell from the tone that I'm not really a fan of the artistic infinite regress. I like art. I do. I'm not embarrassed to say that I get a lot of it. I took a course in art history in the previous century, and I've been in so many good museums and churches, and I've seen in person a lot of those paintings and sculptures that my professor introduced me to in that lecture hall. My goodness, the beauty, the grace of those artifacts fashioned by human hands. They're just astonishing and breathtaking. And I'm not just thinking of Michelangelo's Pietà, I'm thinking of Emily Carr and Alberto Giacometti and Constantine Brancusi and Mary Cassatt and Jackson Pollock and Jasper Johns and Giorgio O'Keefe and Zaha Hadid and Amadeo Modigliani and Keith Haring and Jean-Michel Basquiat and Renzo Piano. I could go on and on and drop even more names to show how much of a, you know, effete snob I am. But, you know, then we have performance art and the special subgenre over which Marina Abramovich towers, endurance art. It is what its name indicates, its feats of human endurance, hardship, or pain performed in a fine art context like a museum or a gallery. And according to the people who run that museum or gallery or write about them, the act of hardship or pain seems to have some artistic value. I guess anything in a fine art context potentially has artistic value, but I wonder if it would still have artistic value if it wasn't in a fine art context. And I guess the best example for that is, is the work of David Blaine. Besides being a magician and an illusionist, he is also identified as an endurance artist. He has a series of specials on Netflix. You should go check them out. They're pretty neat. 
They're very entertaining. However, when he entombed himself in an underground plastic box underneath a three-ton water-filled tank in April 1999 for seven days across from Trump Place on 68th and Riverside Drive, it was billed as a stunt. About 18 months later, he was encased in a large block of ice in Times Square for 63 hours, 42 minutes, and 15 seconds before being removed with chainsaws. Again, it was billed as a stunt. When, in 2003, he sealed himself inside a transparent plexiglass case and suspended it 30 feet in the air above the south bank of the River Thames in London, it also was billed as a stunt. Perhaps if he had done all this in the Tate Modern, it might have received more attention and praise from serious critics. Probably. Which brings me back to my original question, which I will rephrase here simply as, is it art? I don't know if David Blaine is an artist because he thinks of himself mostly as a magician and illusionist, but Marina Abramovich definitely thinks of herself and positions herself as an artist. Her works don't appear in Times Square. Her works make complicated statements about the relationship between performer and audience. The objectification of the female body, BDSM, humanity's reliance on ritual to organize and legitimize our lives. And as the title of this episode indicates, it also makes a statement about the presence of the artist in her work. But I wonder if Yechezkel's performance is also art. I think yes. I think the fashioning of a miniature Jerusalem along with miniature siege engines to reproduce the encirclement of that city sends a powerful message to the viewer. You, like me, are passive in the face of what is happening there. It unfolds despite you watching. We are spectators to the sin and to its punishment. The outcome is obvious, and we are powerless to change it because the Jewish people just don't listen. And we continue to watch Yechezkel lay there on his side for 390 days, with each day representing a year of Israel's wantonness. And then he shifts to his other side for 40 more days, a heady symbolic number, but also representative of the 40 years of Judah's tribulations. I imagine today there might be like a webcam to track his progress, but probably not, as like the artist is present. It would be left to be a lived experience. Or we'd be invited to sit or lay with the prophet as he is recumbent on the floor. Now, I guess this is kind of ironic because, you know, how we are positioned for this performance as an audience undermines the reason why Yechezkel is supposed to be doing this, supposed to be, you know, enduring all this suffering. How are we as passive spectators supposed to understand that we now can change our behavior and forestall and, you know, other calamities? For her piece, Rhythm 5, Marina Abramovich set a large petroleum-drenched star on fire, and after cutting her nails, toenails, and hair, she threw the clippings into the flames. By burning the communist five-pointed star and cast-off pieces of her own body, she tried to create a physical and mental purification. Yechezkel's hair removal, division into three equal piles, and ritual disposal is not some random, arty affectation. And here lies the answer to the earlier concern and skepticism and the wondering about how we're supposed to get, you know, what the endurance artist is trying to tell us. We don't actually need to work that hard with Yechezkel. We don't need to rush out and pick up the weekend arts section to read a review, hoping the writer will enlighten us somehow about what the hell we just witnessed inside that gallery. With Yechezkel, with every well-choreographed stunt, I'm sorry, endurance art exhibit, God is delivering a message figuratively, followed by a literal explanation. So what's this hair business about? The hair represents the people who will be similarly scattered, similarly afflicted, and similarly consumed. 
And what about baking barley bread with cow manure? Quote, so, said the Lord, shall the people of Israel eat their bread, unclean, among the nations to which I will banish them. There's no room here for misinterpretation. The artist is present to make art, but the prophet is also here to make sure we understand what the art is about. The problem is that in both instances, the audience don't generally get the message. If you like what you heard today, spread the word about TanakhCast. Send a friend an email to say, Hey, would it kill you to check out TanakhCast? Or even better, write a brief review at Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher Smart Radio, or SoundCloud. It's a small thing, really, but it will help other people who might be interested in some Bible learning find this podcast. Or if you want to help in a bigger way, support us at Patreon. Just search for TanakhCast and pledge your shekels either on a one-time or monthly basis and receive special blessings from the Most High. I thank you in advance for that and encourage you to join us again in two weeks for Episode 122, when we continue the book of Ezekiel with chapters 8 through 11.